Hi, and welcome to Decoding AQ, helping you to learn the tools, mindsets, and actions to thrive in an ever-changing world. Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Decoding AQ. I have a really good friend with me today, and I can't wait to share her, her insights, and amazing story. Welcome, Shannon Waller. Thank you so much, Ross. I am thrilled to be here and having this conversation with you. Magic. I, in, uh, Relooking because we've known each other for a little while now, and relooking back to just check how long has Shannon been at Strategic Coach? And uh, LinkedIn tells me it's two months off, 30 years. I'm glad you looked. Yes, July of 1991 was when I started with Strategic Coach. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which is a very long, that's a number that most people, like most people expect me to be way older when I say 30 years, because very few, like three to five years is, is, is long now. So the world has changed a lot. Yeah. Is that, that, I mean, uh, a life sentence 25, right? So in essence, it's a job for life that you've already had. It's true. I'm also not employable by anyone else. Let's just be clear. (laughs) So there are some factors that make it work. They are blessed to have you Shannon. And it's not just one waller. It is a family affair, isn't it? It is. Yes. So um, quick, quick history, because this could take a while. Uh, so I joined Strategic Coach in July of 1991. And I joined as actually the salesperson under another salesperson because she wanted to be able to take these things called free days that we talk about at Coach. And then six months later, I joined the company officially because of a tax ruling actually, which is kind of a tax law that came in. And uh, so that's kind of how it started. But then, I, so I started building up my own team within Strategic Coach. And that I first hired, um, I think I hired Marilyn first. I, I better get this right, because otherwise they'll yell at me. Um, I think I hired Marilyn first and she's just a phenomenal relationship person. Um, and then I hired my sister, Julia, because I, and, and I made sure that she did a particular profile and she was a little bit um, miffed, I think is probably the polite word, when I made her do it first. I'm like, she said, well, what do you mean, like, won't I get the job? I'm like, well, I, the last thing in the world I would ever want to do is hire you for a role that you're not suited for or that would make you unhappy. That would make me a pretty lousy sister. She was like, oh, it's not mollified her somewhat. Anyway, she had more than enough talent for the role, had me organized within six months and then got bored. Um, she outgrew me really fast, as did Marilyn. And both of them. And Marilyn's were your mom, right? Marilyn's my mom. Julia's yep. my sister. Although, if you call Marilyn my sister, she'll be very happy. We'll <laughs> she, yep. she looks like my sister, which she does. And uh, so they both went on to their own leadership roles in the company after that. They both outgrew me. And right. uh, but it's it's great. It's great having family in the company. And like most family, we work complementary. It's good if we don't work all together all the time. Uh, but it's it's fantastic. And yeah, so that we there are, there are three wallers at Strategic Coach. And uh, for those rare people in uh, our podcast who don't know Strategic Coach, it's the the place for entrepreneurs to go and be their best selves. Um, there's a range of programs. I've been part of it. It's completely changed my life and that of my families. And I have now what I believe an extension to my family of my you know Strategic Coach family. And I think many feel the same. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in terms of these thinking tools, these areas in which we can go through our freedom, our self-managing organizations into then growth of that organization through 10X and then create new free zones and collaborate with people that we couldn't have even imagined before the capabilities that we can do. How big was, was Strategic Coach when you joined and how big is it now? Uh, I was team member number six. So I was, we were, we were, we, we were little, our goal was to get to 500 clients. I remember that. I don't remember how many clients we had when we started. I remember we, we were in this little tiny office on Queen street West in Toronto. And I was really happy when Dan was Dan Sullivan co-founder of the company with, with his wife, Bab Smith. And was why I was really happy when he was gone on sales calls or coaching, or I didn't know what he was doing actually. And because and I got to sit in, in the conference room, that was his office. <laughs> Otherwise, I had nowhere to sit. <laughs> so two months two months after I joined, we moved to the space actually that that you're familiar with mm-hmm. um, in 
kind of western side of, of the city proper in Toronto. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's how that worked. So now we have, goodness, um, multiple more clients. We've got over 100 team members uh, in the US and the UK and Canada, and it's, it's expanding. And now yeah. thanks to lockdown, thanks to the pandemic, which sounds odd to say, we have a new global virtual workshop. And so our client reach, we've always had people from, you know, Lots of different Dozens countries. of different countries yeah. in 60 different industries, but now they're from multiple more countries, which yeah. is really, really exciting. And often going to the UK virtual workshops, actually, which is and fun. We'll cover that in terms of, you know, the many adaptions, uh, some by design and desire, others by necessity and need, um, but always with intent and choice behind yeah. these things yeah. is an interesting part. And I think one of my fondest, earliest memories um, was when I uh, joined, I was running a brand and marketing agency and I had a team and we, we were doing an activity all around teamwork. And we had all of these, you know, initiatives. It was a small team. We were about 25 people and we had, everyone had done their Colby profiles. We were embedding this within the organization, working with communication builder tools, and we had, you know, the golden cup where, you know, everyone would put something they're grateful for of another team member into that cup. And at the end of the week, we'd read these things out as teams. You know, we had all of these things to build an intentional culture mm. in the design of how an entrepreneurial business would work for team success. And one of our, you know, handbooks uh, in its title and use was the team success handbook, you know, and that guided us and impact our firm beyond say how strategic coach impacted me as mm. an entrepreneur to how it supports then the wider teams that support the entrepreneur. And I know that's been a, a big passion and area of yours as the author of the book. And you, you kindly, uh, recorded a video for our sort of annual, I don't know if you remember, I forgot an annual uh, celebration at the end of the year and uh, then sort of a planning for the next year session. And we hired out a local cinema and we had the team there. We were going through various things and there was kind of this prize because we'd split them into sub teams and working on things. And uh, everybody contributed to essentially then who uh, had lived our mindsets the most, who'd shown the behaviors and values of team success, all of these things. And you recorded a video that we played on screen uh, that I just felt in awe and amazed that I could get connected to somebody who'd written the book and, you know, share and announce who at that time the team members were that had done that. So a very giving and, you know, person who genuinely cares in the people you meet and their teams. Thank you. That's very kind. I totally had forgotten about that, but I do remember doing it now that you mention it. And I, I am extraordinarily passionate about, about entrepreneurial teams. I think what I think one of my beliefs, mindsets, experiences is that business is one of the most incredible places in which to grow as a human being on the planet. I think it's, I think the opportunities for growth in a company are huge. You learn more about yourself, more self-awareness, more opportunities for growth and adapting than, mm -hmm. than almost any other situation, more than families, more than corporations, more than most other industries, especially, you know, if you're in an entrepreneurial organization, that's the pinnacle of, of you know, <clears throat> having, needing to grow to just to keep up. Um, and so the, when, when someone, you know, shares that passion, like you do, Ross, um, and shares it with the team and gets it into, I'm, I just want to go, yay. <laughs> I'm so excited. So it was a real, a real pleasure because it's, you know, there's a like-mindedness, you know, and when you find people who are resonating on, or, you know, vibrating on the same frequency, it's pretty special. Yeah. Um, and you're one of those people. So an absolute pleasure to do that. And I'm glad that the teen success handbook yeah. was, was useful because it's important to people for people to know, especially if they come from a larger organization or more corporate one, that this is a different beast. An entrepreneurial yes. organization is fundamentally different in its mindset, in its behaviors, in its expectations. And if you come from one, the language of business is the same. So if you come from one into the other, you're like, it sounds the same, but it doesn't feel the same. And really this book is a, a primer for how to, for how, to put the, how, put about, how to put the mindset on straight for someone joining an entrepreneurial company. 
And that shift that people go through um, is one of adaption. You know, we have to understand the levels of our flexibility, how open we are, how decisions are made, you know, what do we need to leave behind and unlearn certain processes or thoughts or uh, accountability and responsibility. So all of these things, we go through our careers, and we go through our lives. And I want to borrow a sort of essence from the moving futures with you. Um, and this is an activity that looks uh, asks us to look back uh, over a certain period of time. In this context, it, it's normally 90 days. What are you most proud of that, you know, gives you this momentum forward? And I want to really stretch your mind and thinking um, of your career at coach, three mm -hmm. decades. Mm -hmm. And if you think about that, what have been the sort of significant moments where you or the team have had to adapt or chosen to adapt in order to grow, in order to obtain a future desired state or something that you feel, wow, that's a moment that sticks in my mind. I'm really proud about some of those things. Perhaps share a couple of highlights um, that you feel very proud about the changes or adaptions that you, the team or the organization made. Oh, the two, there, there's a bunch. When, when you ask that question, it's okay. a great question because I have lots of answers. So one of them was a very personal one that was a while ago. And the other is a much more recent one. Uh, so I'll share and one's more, not one's more team <clears throat> involves some personal change too, but definitely team change. And so the first one was there was a point when our organization got to about 12 people and used to be, you know, there's a great expression, more is caught than taught. And that's a real advantage of people sitting in the same space. Nowadays to be on the same Zoom room, you know, or, you know, sitting in the same space, overhearing one another, everyone knows what's going on with almost every client because you're part of, you can hear what, at least one side of the phone call and you lobby an answer that someone says, hang on a second, I don't know. And you're like, you know, 25, <laughs> you throw it across the room. And so I was really used to that. And as we, and we were starting to get bigger and I remember talking to my colleague happens also to be named Ross. I'm like, Ross, I think, I think it's getting too big. I think I have to look for somewhere new. <laughs> Thank God I did not do anything stupid, but I, I wasn't adapting because now we were more into teams and we were more physically separated and our space we moved into, you know, there were different floors and, and we couldn't catch everything. And I was having a hard time I actually remember the, the struggle more than I remember the win, but fortunately I did adapt and I did um, pull on my big girl pants and sort of get with the program and recognize just how much bigger the future could be if I could adapt to that. Um, and that party also, I mean, I've always been interested in people in business. That's been my passion since I was 18, uh, which was a while ago now. And, but it, for me, it was like, okay, let's, let's figure out how to make that work. Let's pay attention yep. to how do people change? How do people grow? So that kind of fed, fed my, 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 my spirit a little bit. Uh, so anyway, I did adapt and I did stay and built my own team and, you know, all the things. So that was, but that was one really pivotal point where I, did I want to stay in a smaller company or was I willing to be part of the growth? So that was a key. Let's just dig into that one first for a moment. So mm -hmm. this was an environmental shift in terms of the organization itself was going from something in which you had a sense of reward, knowing, and knowledge. And like safety. say you, yeah. You know, safety, you could catch what was going on. You felt valued and involved in all bits because you weren't miss, missing out. And that contribution gave you the energy, mm -hmm. uh, gave you validation. And probably part of what you were doing at that point in small teams is to contribute in all areas. Yes, we have a unique ability, but by nature in small, we have, you know, we can't help ourselves, but to do things in a lot of collaboration. As that yeah. scales out, we can yeah. feel a sense of loss. And mm -hmm. it's this balance between losing something that we already had for the uncertainty of a potential, as you said, a bigger future. That's mm -hmm. unknown, but what you had was known. So there's oh. a couple of very important things that are happening through what you just described there of an environmental shift. You're going from a known state of which there was comfort and reward and having to get your mind into a future state that's unknown that is requires let go and loss for mm -hmm. that hopeful gain. And yeah. um, 
I would imagine what happened for you in a few of those things was the motivation. We have a motivation style. And this is different than, say, I'm motivated by money or mastery or uh, contribution. What we look at is in the moment of change, what's our style? You know, mm -hmm. is it, as we call, or I like to talk about it, a burning ambition or a burning platform? So the company had placed a burning platform there that you, you know, it was either there's the door, as you said, this isn't for me. Um, or you get on and, oh, am I motivated by the burning ambition of what it could be mm -hmm. uh, of those things? And that shift, we are ambidextrous, um, right. but we have some moments where, you know, that shift. So I just wanted to cover a little bit uh, deeper into what you just described there, but take us through the next one, sort of next yeah. significant moment. Well, first of all, that's a brilliant context, plural, to put around it and valued and involved. What a great term. I'm going to share, I'm going to borrow that and give you credit, but I love it. And I am a generalist by nature. So, you know, I loved being connected to all the things. And I think that was one of the things I was afraid of losing was less connection with those. Now I do have unique ability and I do have a specific audience that I want to do it with. So I did focus on the ambition, but you're, that's a great, those two things are polarities to manage. Neither one's, a, you don't want to do all one or all the other. Yep. You need to stay on the on the upside of both, but that's a, that's a great articulation. So the second one is much more recent and probably not unlike what a lot of people have experienced in the last 14, 15 months since uh, March, 2020, um, is that, you know, went into global lockdown pandemic and we stayed at home. Our business strategic coaches, coaching business is an in-person workshop program. Yeah. Up that's before it. that point, almost a hundred percent. Almost, I had done one video program for team members. Yeah. That was the only one <laughs> that was not. And there was there was some phone program, like teleseminars, but that was yeah. also live, right? So we were, you know, 99% live. Mm -hmm. And so massive shift, put, put pause on everything until we figured out um, Zoom and had some amazing help. Shout out to my friend, Taki Moore, who introduced us to Zoom breakout rooms and mm -hmm. some other really capable people who helped us. And, you know, and, and so our whole team has had to, actually, I hate the word pivot. I much prefer adapt, mm -hmm. just so you know. We've had to adapt to a, an entirely new way. You had to reimagine the proposition. Totally. Yeah. And, 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 but what was fascinating is we had so much depth and so much capability. Our team is incredibly strong and capable, and I would say resilient. But even if, imagine one of our roles, workshop success director, right? I'm not even talking about the coach right now. Mm -hmm. You know, basically it used to be that they would, you know, ring the chimes, herd the cats, set up the rooms, lay out the materials. It's all very physical. And all of a sudden they had to transfer all of those talents and those skills into a virtual, you know, world yeah. and did so phenomenally well, you know, all the way from music to timers, to all the things and adapting to all the upgrades that were happening in mm -hmm. the technology, Thank goodness. Um, you know, it, I would say our entire team had to adapt and it was, it was a matter of survival. Like, yep. you know, I mean, we're in good shape, but still the runway isn't forever the run rate. And, uh, so I, our team has adapted brilliantly. And now, as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, now we have a, a virtual option that really allows for global clients and, you know, new capabilities and, and things that weren't as strategic before, more strategic now. And so it's been fun. And I actually have to say, I love coaching on Zoom. I'll be doing it three days next week. Mm -hmm. uh, so for me, it's it's actually fun and easy and focusing to be able to do it this way. So it, it, it feels much easier now than it did when I was younger. I don't know if it's what I'm adapting to or because I'm more mature, uh, but certainly it's been a major adaptation that I have to say, I mean, not that we didn't have a few, you know, head budding yeah, sessions yeah. in terms of designing what it would look like, but we absolutely came out the other end and it's, it's working brilliantly. And our future is now, here's the interesting thing, Ross, our future is now much bigger and much brighter. Like the team programs, the thing I started 25 years ago, 26 years ago, the, the future for it is now exponential. Whereas before it was only incremental. Yep. So now it turns out it's way easier to send someone to a Zoom workshop than it is to ship them across the country. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> right? So our that that program that my part of the business has a much much bigger future now than it ever did. So 
I mean, I'd love to see you un- hear you unpack yeah. that because you're seeing things. I know you have a framework and a lens, which I don't yet I'm working on it. Um, so I'd love to, I'd love to hear your breakdown because you, you probably yeah. see some things in there that I haven't even seen yet. It is interesting because what you talked about in terms of this shift to using other technologies to expand new opportunities existed before true march 2020 and it did for many businesses and it comes back to this thought of what is our future desire what's our ambition and what you had was fit to serve the purpose of the mission that you had Mm -hmm. and some people call that oh it's comfort zone or not I know coach well enough that it was still hugely ambitious, still huge about impact, about all of those things, but it knew what it knew and it was getting reward from the processes, systems and delivery mechanisms it had. Then the external factor came along and, you know, rather than those who perhaps adopted, let's call it virtual coaching, digital coaching before March 2020, did it because they saw the gain. Uh, they they might have had less to lose. That's where a lot of disruption comes from, because you at some points might have to cannibalize what you have in order for future. So if we rewind to your, I'm connected to everything. There's 12 of us. I cannibalize and lose some of the things I've got for new things tomorrow. Right. It's hard to let go and do that when you are in a good place. Sometimes it takes a knock from an external for you to then refigure that out. Mm -hmm. And what I've observed and noticed, I just want to make a couple of points. Many have taken what they did before and now replicated that in a virtual way. What I liked about your uh, delivery and some of the best is to reimagine what we're doing because things are different. And um, I like the term of task redundancy, not Mm -hmm. job redundancy so you had these people that one organization might have gone all of the tasks you do in your job role is now redundant we don't operate in person anymore so we don't need somebody to chime to do this you know to play the music to herd the cats to do all of those things sorry we're now doing this to think of it those tasks have become redundant What are the new tasks that are needed? And can those people adapt in order to do that to provide the glue or value or what the outcomes were of client success or program success? Mm -hmm. So that, that shift, yes, you had ability to do it, but also the mindset of the team that you had a muscle of continual adaption. In an entrepreneurial environment and world, there's always new creation and new creativity and shifts and change. And you're plugged into that through your audience as well. So that would have given you confidence um, and therefore, yes, a necessity and survival, but also the assets to be able to do that. Um, A lot of had the, you know, necessity, but didn't have the skills, didn't have the muscles, didn't have the assets in order to get through that. That's a really interesting point. And I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, in the program we talk about is really appreciating everything that, you know, how can you repurpose your past to make it useful for the future? What do you, what do you want to leave behind and what do you want to, what do you want to bring forward? And the reimagining is powerful because we, a lot of the workshop feels the same. We just happen to be doing it, not in person. (laughs) You're doing it from your, from, you know, someone's doing it from their bedroom. Someone's doing it from the dining room. Someone's doing it from Dubai. Someone's doing it from Hong Kong. Someone's doing it from England. Someone's doing it from Toronto. So it's, it's kind of fascinating, but there's a lot we could translate, I guess. And because we had the same goal, we just had to figure out a very different way to get there. Um, and, And we're kind of used to that. Now you've made one comment that I, Dan, you know, you said virtual, you know, conferencing was available long before. It's true. And Dan would want to have, Dan Sullivan talks about this all the time. He said, I would want to have like Zoom calls or what have you. He said, but other people didn't want to. Mm. You know, the value of the network wasn't big enough yet. But now when everyone had to go, you know, into a virtual, then it's like, then all, and I've never, I don't think we'll ever see this again in our lifetime, maybe, but where everyone jumped, and by everyone, I mean business people, jumped in capability in such a short time frame. Like it this was an is accelerant. Oh um, my gosh. 
and I don't know that we'll ever, I've never seen it in my lifetime. Dan's never seen it in his, I'm not sure if we will again, but what an incredible opportunity. Cause now we're all on a different, on the, on the same different page. And I think that's, that's been really useful. There's so much about, you know, how we do things at coach and we are entrepreneurial and we are encouraging change and improvements all the time. So this was just, and we're not really negative about, about the change. You know what I mean? It's not like we're like, occasionally we're like, oh, I, I really, you know, most of us miss lunch, <laughs> miss, miss the catering. Yep. <laughs> I do miss Christopher's food, uh, but we're not that nostalgic. And so it makes it, I find it makes it a lot easier to look forward because it kind of is, as you said, it is our normal. It is what we're used to. Yeah. Um, now, not all of our clients are as adaptable um, mm-hmm. for their own reasons, which is completely fine. Uh, but I'm, I have to say, I mean, if I do a looking back to March, 2020, I'm, I'm super impressed with how adaptable we've been. It's, it's actually, it is a mor- total morale moment as, as you put it in that context. And, you know, the, the ability to do that has been a build up to the point mm-hmm. at which it was required. And, you know, this balance of change being consistent, but can we sustain at the speed and, and pace? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. even the most fit physical athletes couldn't continue to operate at their peak performance in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. So in business, if this new environment of continual adaption, stuff happening all the time, and we think at the moment we can't see or forecast another impact of change to the order of magnitude as the pandemic. Right. But it could well be. It could well be. Never no, say never. That we are just at the starting point. And in two years' time, we look back and go, wow, um, that pandemic we thought was a big impact. Mm-hmm. So one of the challenges is this, where you had deep connection mm. and take your workshops, they were an entire day um, of that interaction. We can't imagine now an entire day of, you know, in a Zoom room, all of those pieces that we have to break up, we have to shift. And so we had to reimagine certain bits, even if some of it might feel the same. So it touches on a couple of points about in coach, there's an exercise of what is, what stays the same, right? You know, in the future version of you in 10 years time, in 25 years, what's going to, what's going to remain the same. And we need some elements to anchor ourselves of what will stay the same and what will change. And that will give us an ability to stay sane (laughs) to a certain extent. And so in terms of a team that whilst maybe a leader or an entrepreneur might be more predisposed to live on the edge of continual change and those in an entrepreneurial team by nature uh, orbit around that and, you know, build up their muscles and are constantly dealing with it. As you discussed earlier, many are making this transition from a maybe larger, more corporate environment by necessity to now find themselves either on furlough, becoming a gig worker, you know, shifting and transitioning into a different way of working. Mm -hmm. What could they learn from how entrepreneurial teams operate that they could expect to go through and deal with that they're now maybe right in the middle of that you could express some of the bits uh, to help them navigate that? Oh my gosh, what a great question. You ask really good questions, Ross. Uh, it's, it's interesting, there, I, you, what you reminded me of is a, a chart that I, there was, this was actually took me as long as the rest of the book took to write in terms of, the, the book is basically about how a team member can have an entrepreneurial attitude, but I needed to make a distinction between I called it then a bureaucratic attitude, which is much more, you know, we talk about, you know, there's, there's a, a balance between innovation and consistency. You know, you can't, mm-hmm. you can't be changing all the time, nor can you be so consistent that you just don't innovate ever. So we need that balance. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm not allergic to structure. I'm not allergic to consistency. I think those can be really healthy and good things, but in, you know, one of the things to be aware of is, I think self-awareness, you and I have the same value on this. Self-awareness is absolutely essential. It's important to know the type of environment in which you thrive and in which, and, and, 
or, but maybe you don't have a choice about that. And so many people, what I find really interesting about this pandemic, Ross, is that people who thought they were okay in that other environment, they're like, actually, I would really like to be more in control of my time. I would like to be, I don't want to have to work with jerk so-and-so. Yep. <laughs> so they're actually, because they're clear, we, we would call it the four freedoms, freedom of time, freedom of money, freedom of relationship, and freedom of purpose. And people are kind of discovering that when they're not so tied to the habit structure of going to a large office or corporation or bureaucracy that they're like, hmm, I kind of like this independence. And so you made the point before we started that the world is becoming more entrepreneurial. And I think that is 100% true, which I kind of love, uh, but means you actually have to be really aware of your talents and your skills and kind of not from a bragging standpoint, but also not from a too humble standpoint either. You just have to be factual about here are my gifts, here are my talents, here are my passions, here's how they can come together to help you with your bigger future. When you can have that conversation articulately, if that's a word, um, then it's it's pretty, then, then people are like, oh, okay, you know yourself. I like that. I want that. Or glad you know yourself. No, I need this instead. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think that that piece is key. And then there's also some ways, I think, and I just want to read through some of these characteristics, you know, an entrepreneurial way of doing things is to learn by doing, Mm -hmm. you know, to recognize that not everything is structured. If it's brand new, you've never done it before. You can't tell what the structure is. Um, It's very fluid. There's a sense of ambiguity. Um, And entrepreneurial environments tend to really value emotion as well as reason. Whereas I think most bureaucratic companies, you have to have all your logic, you know, reasons set up. Um, it's about a contribution. It's focused on results versus time and effort. It's relationship focused, not just getting stuff done. And it's about change. And really there's an abundance mindset, which I know, you know, a ton about from hanging out with Peter, mm. the Amandus. Um, but there's the sense that there's enough, that there's more happening. We can make the pie bigger. We don't have to be yep. scarcity and it's life is not a zero sum game. And I have to say, at least for me and the people I work with and people I coach and the people I'm talking to who are now freed up to the marketplace, they're like eating this for breakfast. You know, they're like, oh, I didn't know I had shackles on, but I did. And now, now, does it mean that it's comfortable being in a totally fluid, unstructured environment all the time? No, (laughs) it doesn't mean it's easy, but I think you know, people can, again, know themselves, trust themselves, that I think there's there's a massive opportunity yeah. for reinvention. I, I'm going to borrow your word, reimagination, um, that actually leads to people being much, much happier with their life and also still making contribution and living, which is, I don't know, that seems pretty fantastic to me. It's exciting, isn't it? And as much as we might get excited, there are people who see the same things we see and are then full of anxiety and fear. Yes, absolutely. And there's a, a difference of everyone becoming an entrepreneur to everyone operating in an entrepreneurial environment. Exactly. And so what my personal view is not everyone is about becoming an entrepreneur or even every gig worker is an entrepreneur. No, we're in an entrepreneurial environment, which is all of the things you talked about there of mm-hmm. where we are learning by doing because Many of it, the things are brand new because there's more ambiguity, you know, because we then need more results and less structure. You know, all of these things, that's now the environment that we're operating in. Mm-hmm. And so how we show up, a few things have to happen. You use the word shackles uh, that people might have found they had these shackles on. We're so li- close to what we do in our tasks and our role to then who we think we are mm-hmm. in our identity. Yes. And that for many can feel a sense of loss. So I was this person because I did these tasks. It provided this value to someone else or the world. And if I'm now not doing those tasks, if the world doesn't need those things, if I'm not valued, what is my identity? So that shift where, oh, I'm not, my identity shifting. I'm excited. I can do all of these other things. For many, it's that loss. I knew who I was. So yeah. I'm interested this this transition of, of team members that this is happening at scale. Mm-hmm. Lots of organizations are, you know, not existing and many are being forced out 
because it, the organization couldn't adapt to the new environment, the new yeah. technologies, the new uh, way of operating or the new rules of the game of what we can do. Um, just talk a little bit about, you know, the experience of when I know that you've had many team members and many teams that thrive in an entrepreneurial environment and many who struggle. Have you helped the ones that have struggled to thrive? What does that really look like in practical terms? A couple of different answers for that. You, you, you turn on all these cascade of thoughts in my brain. Um, so one of the things I did, and that's actually why I wrote the Team Success Handbook, was to let people know the different environment that they were in so they could be successful. And I, you know, could coach them on how to, you know, have a more entrepreneurial attitude, how to focus on results, not just the time and effort, you know. So there's there's 12 different, you know, focus on results is one of them. <laughs> You know, um, have an ownership attitude, have patience and compassion for yourself and other people. You know, so there's lots of there's lots of that letting people know what, in fact, are the success strategies in those environments um, and what will be rewarded. You know, being right all the time isn't actually always the answer. It's like, are you willing to experiment and test and go quickly? Yes, quickly. No. Right. That's that's what gets rewarded in an entrepreneurial environment, not being perfect. So progress, not perfection, as the expression goes. Um, so that's one thing. But there, I want to talk about the point that you made a moment ago is that, you know, if your identity is attached to your position, your role in the organization, that's a very extrinsic way to focus your attention, your, it's good, I'm going to say your ego, your, your sense your of validation. status. Your validation. Yeah. Your validation. Yeah. You have and much maybe more, you'll mean nicer, more neutral terms for it than I do. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the words, like, basically it's, it's about contribution versus status. So the, the other people that I notice really struggle are the people who are desperately in need of status and they do not, they need that structure. They need that corner office. They need the title. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure I'm actually the best person to say how to help them. Cause I don't see that they fit into an entrepreneurial organization. They're the ones that, uh, tend to build their own little kingdoms. Um, and it's, it's actually why I wrote my second book, <laughs> Multiplication by Subtraction, because I kept seeing entrepreneurial companies bring in high powered, capable, talented leaders, but who were there for their reasons, not the, not the reasons of the company. Um, so I guess my coaching for that is please, please be aligned with the vision and goals of the organization, um, or, or go, go create your own. And very few, you need to be entrepreneurial. You're totally right, Ross, but very few people are. I hate to use the word true entrepreneurs, but, you know, ones who thrive with all of the work that it, incredible amount of work what it takes is. to be an entrepreneur. And oh. just a, a quick shout out to Gino Wickman, the uh, yes. creator of EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, and his, his latest book, Entrepreneurial Leap, which talks yes. very much to that, uh, that, you know, it is a very rare breed. Um, and to understand that and uh, I, I want to dig in a little bit to the next book of multiplication by subtraction and what that really means. And mm -hmm. this aspect of something I'm passionate about of ethical exits. Yes. You know, so in terms of when we haven't been able to as a relationship between the organization, who it serves and who serves the organization and works inside it when it's out of alignment and a redundancy happens, how do we do that ethically mm -hmm. and how can that help both parties grow uh, mm -hmm. for new opportunities? And you, you talk about that in a state of singularity of an individual and removing to multiply the company because of not alignment, not fit. As you said, worst thing you could do for your sister was help her get a job that made her miserable. Yeah. Um, I think we need a, a next multiplication by subtraction 2.0 and oh, for me okay. that looks around not the entirety of an individual but as i said those tasks and roles mm -hmm. so for somebody to adapt to a new i.e reskill or upskill to a new career to a new area how can we provide employability for everyone that's there whether they choose to stay within the organization is the match of alignment of that, but the yeah. responsibility to always be, in, you know, working on employee mobility across yeah. organizations because those skills that we can multiply by subtracting redundant 
skills, attitudes, mindsets of those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And then at the worst, yes, we might have to cut off. You know, we might have to say that is not right fit. We don't have right fit. We aren't in alignment to help. Um, but I do it in a way that's a gift. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I'm interested in your thoughts about that and just expand a little bit of maybe some of the success and stories of where that has worked very well for people of the both sides um, mm -hmm. in terms of multi multiplication by subtraction. I love it. Well, and, and I love it because um, ethical exits is a great way to put it. And, and the subtitle of the book is how to gracefully let go of wrong fit team members. And most of the book is not on how to exit somebody. Most of the book is on how to figure out what the right fit is. Right. And, and there's tons of, like, I, I, I wrote down there's charts and there's, you know, models to follow. And, and, and there are really three main ways. And this goes back to a model that I learned from, from Colby. And so there's, you know, there's, if, if someone doesn't have the right intelligence, smarts, training, or background for the role, that's a cognitive issue. Then often what people, everyone puts this down to personality, but this is affect. This is, you know, your, your, your drive, your motivation, your preferences. You know, I've got a grumpy pants on reception. That could be a problem. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Whereas they might be brilliant technically and I need to keep them, you know, I don't want to say in the back room, but, you know, you know, doing their work without interference from annoying humans, then that's, you know, that's a matter of simply moving someone around or in one reason why I love the Colby profile so much um, is that, you know, is, if someone have everything else is right, intelligence, their motivations there, but they simply don't have mental energy for that type of task that the role requires. Well, that sounds like a phenomenal team member for your company. We just find, need to find a better role for them. Right. If they've got the smarts and they've got the attitude, let's find a role that is a better fit. So a lot of it is about moving people around. And I love the task redundancy versus the role redundancy conversation because it's like, yeah, you know, and, and this is why we profile everyone before we hire them. It's why we um, I started using it in my my team programs before we even did it for clients. When you join strategic coach, it's what you do between the workshop one and two is to know your Colby because we find it um, so useful. It's, it has nothing to do with intelligence, nothing to do with personality, only to do with how you strive and problem solve. And business is about solving problems. So you need to know this information. So we do a ton of that, kind, like in our own company, for example, we, everyone knows their Colby, their strengths finder. We have another one called print. We do disc, we do, Wonderlick, which we don't share, which is an intelligence one, but we have, we want people to be incredibly knowledgeable about themselves so that they can be a partner with us. You know, I don't want to be big brother, big sister deciding, oh, you're suited for this role and you're not, or, you know, that's, that's a little patriarchal, in my yeah. opinion. <laughs> not where I want to go. So, so one of the things, I think one of the things that we do is we help people get really tied into what we call their unique ability. And those profiles really help give the groundwork give the and the language. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, and that's and a specialism of your sister, right? That's exactly where she focuses on is how do you uncover deep insight to your unique ability? Yes. Um, she's amazing. A, a beautiful gift to do that. Um, we're coming to the, the final kind of uh, uh, chapter and wrap up uh, for this. I know that we can both, you know, uh, have conversational jazz for, for hours. I like that. And I, I, I want to touch on something that I'm coming up against, and I'd love your insights and views. And this is around this challenge where I know there's huge value in the data and insights of knowing ourselves. Yes. Talk about Colby. We know that they've had enough time and enough longitudinal studies to be able to say that's fixed over time. Yep. Now, in our world of adaptability, of giving ourselves a permission that we can be someone else, uh -huh. you know, Ben Hardy uh, collaborating with uh, Dan Sullivan on lots of things, the hugely successful Who Not How book, next one coming up, Gap and the Gain. One of his earlier books was Personality's Not Permanent. Uh -huh. And this, this concept of being able to envisage our future selves that has different personality traits and types and attributes and aspects and how we can design a different version of ourselves. Now that might be that, you know, at worst it's about, you know, split personality and bipolar and all of these bits. But at the other side, it's, uh, I have certain things that don't serve me anymore. 
-hmm. You know, I now that desire to be that version of myself requires me to do things. Do I put in the hard work and do I re-engineer that? Or am I always, delu you know, in a state of delusion that no, my true self isn't that. And I'm just waiting to fall over because I will revert back to the pretending to be something else. So I'm just really fascinated with all of your work between this view of future self, be anything you want. Is that pretend? Or is it that we can truly create a different set of personalities or a different set of attributes or, or skills? Um, just fascinated about that as we wrap up, because yeah. this I know is going to be a life's work to <laughs> understand that. So I want to get your insights early. Well, actually, I think I think you've already you've, I think you've already answered that a little bit because it is there are some things that are stable that are consistent and there are some things that are incredibly mutable, right? And that we absolutely can change. And I think one of the things that's so incredible about human beings and and I was actually just reading the draft book of uh, draft version of Gap in the Gain and 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 that's the thing like we're not static. Goodness, we grow. Thank God. You know, it's like it's. You know, we're capable of incredible change, but do you want to come, you know, one of the Colby um, descriptors is quick start, yep. you know, so quick starts, you know, somebody gets a ton, has a ton of mental energy for new ideas. I'm a nine out of 10. Not that that's something to aspire to. It just is a measure. Just who you are. Yep. Just who I am. Is that going to change? Hasn't since I was, when I first took the Colby over 20 years ago. So I don't think that part, I'm still going to approach situations the same, but I may choose different situations to approach. Does that make sense? So my way of doing it, I don't think is, I'm, I'm quite happy that being consistent. Thank you very much. That part of me, I don't need to reinvent. Um, I have become immeasurably more extroverted the longer I've been on the planet. I've become way less shy you know, we can all look back at our previous versions of ourselves and say, this is how I've grown and that's going to happen again. And, and I think that's, I think that's powerful. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm someone who can be quick to get angry. Well, if I slowed that down a little bit, a lot of people would be really appreciative of yeah. that, of that growth. And I have gotten better just saying. So I think it's exciting to think about how it, it mostly is in the realm of our mindsets, our beliefs, mm -hmm. our preferences, our behaviors. We have, we have incredible, I would say 360 degree choice around how we behave. That is 100% under our control. Don't let anyone tell you different. And, but you know, how I do things, you know, but how I choose to, how I, whether or not I choose to take action, how I choose to do that in terms of reactive or, re or creatively responsive, you know, whether I just go, oh, that's interesting can I help? You know? Yep. So I think that is under our control. You know, when I do take action, it probably will be in a quick start way. Um, and by the way, there's four different modes and I'm not even giving nearly enough credit to anyone's profile. Um, but I'm going to do it in the way that my Colby ML plays out, but I'm going to choose what I want to apply that to with whom I want to, you know, play with in the playground? You know, what goals am I going to use that to contribute to and to serve? What greater purpose do I want to uh, have an impact to? You know, that, oh my gosh, there's like, it's so big what yep. we can do. So I think that is completely open and exciting. But at the same time, I know there's some aspects of myself that I'm quite happy with, and I don't feel like I want to change or need yep. to change and probably would be trying to get water to go uphill if I were to do that. Does that that's my take on it. I don't know it's, if that's helpful or I, not. Yeah, it's very, very interesting piece. And I think, you know, sometimes um, take, for example, quick start, you've been identified as that and you get reward with that. And so it's not going to change or ever change because you've not decided to want to. So therefore, it could be viewed in one way. It is stable over time and that's it. Um, but if you said, do you know what? I want to change that. Could Shannon be in a year's time, not a quick start? I don't know. Um, it's a bit like years ago in the marketing, uh, I go to somebody and they go, ah, the yellow pages. It was a physical book, big, thick book oh, where wow. people would advertise and they get their new business from. And I go and say, oh, so where do you get your new business from? Oh, the yellow pages. Um, okay. What, el what else do you do? Oh, we only do the yellow pages. Ah, so that's the only way you're going to get business from because that's all you do. Um, so in a certain aspect, uh, whilst the science and research, we know what we know today. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, flexible to think that all that we know today might be replaced with new knowledge tomorrow. 
And yeah. so uh, in every aspect that for some can be so uncertain, you know, and so damaging to think about, but it keeps me, I think, humble uh, around knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that it has a time of knowledge, but what is different and is eternal is the principles, the methods, the questions. So if we constantly ask ourselves the questions, be open and not biased to, no, I'm just looking for the result to give me the same answer I had before, that we might uncover a new answer, that opens up a new realm. And to, to, to finalize it, you beautifully articulated it for you and many, me included, I see a massive future. I see no need to change. I'm very comfortable with my Colby, for example, uh, and I operate within it. Within a hue, there's areas where I now feel with me, I want to work on that. Um, um, yes. I, I've been given myself now a new insight about something, about either my environment or how my character might influence how I change or the impact it has on others or the certain skills I have mm-hmm. um, about even my ability to unlearn things. And I go, ah, now I've seen that. I've become aware. I can then make a choice of what to do with it. And that's, you know, the way that uh, I think the best people can live their lives uh, through it. So we've, I think so. Um, you know, spent, uh, it's flown by our time. I really want to thank you so much. Some great insights, more's caught than taught. One of my favorites. And I uh, thank you for sharing that. Loads of great stories. And I look forward to our next connection together, Shannon. I I think we definitely need a part two. (laughs) Ross, always a pleasure. And just one last final thought. I mean, I think we can always increase our intelligence. I mean, that is measured and we can Mm -hmm. change our preferences and how we show up in our personality. There's a reason why Ben did not include Colby in personality as a permanent. And that's, you know, that's tested, but you know, don't take my word. It's not personality, right? It's not, and and that's why it's not in the book. Exactly. And I think, you know, one of the things that gives everyone confidence moving forward is what about myself? It's stable. What do I want to stay the same? What can I count on? And then how can I use that to address, to be adaptable to all those changes that are coming out? Um, So I have loved this conversation and um, I hope we get to do it again. Thank you so much, Ross. Thank you. Do you have the level of adaptability to survive and thrive the rapid changes ahead? Has your resilience got more comeback than a yo-yo? Do you have the ability to unlearn in order to reskill, upskill and break through? Find out today and uncover your adaptability profile and score, your AQ. Visit aqai.io to gain your personalized report across 15 scientifically validated dimensions of adaptability. For a limited time, enter code PODCAST65 for a complimentary AQME assessment. AQAI, transforming the way people, teams, and organizations navigate change. Thank you for listening to this episode of Decoding AQ. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast directory, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Please do leave a review, and be sure to tune in next time for more insights from our amazing guests.